0: Again, um, if you should, uh, showed up since, since I gave the call to worship, good to see you. Um, let's just turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 this morning as we um, resume our study on the life of Moses. Um, Exodus chapter 3, and the question that I want to uh, ask you this morning as we turn there is uh, what if God were to call you to do something great for him what if God were to call you to do something great for him one day God just knocks on your door or maybe uh, calls your, your phone whatever and uh, literally calls you right um, and says I've got a job for you to do follow me and from that point on Right, there's no turning back, basically. Uh, no turning back to the life as you once knew it. Right, it's going to be challenging answering his call, but it's also going to be the most rewarding thing that you've ever done. So how would you respond to that call? My guess is that initially, um, your response might be a lot like Moses's, that we're going to look at today, especially um, if you've experienced a failure like Moses has and had in his life last week, we looked at his failure. He had a personal failure. Um, Moses, he's the adopted uh, grandson of Pharaoh, and he's he's one who everyone used to bow down to, basically. They used to bow the knee to Moses. Um, he was great in Egypt, and at age 40, remember he kills this Egyptian in an attempt to Begin the delivery process of his Hebrew people his Hebrew brothers and sisters who were enslaved to the Egyptians and so he kind of uh, ran to this calling right before he was sent and uh, He ended up as a fugitive out in Midian, which was in the north western uh, parts of Saudi Arabia kind of on the Just east of the Gulf of Aqaba so He's out in that area, out in this totally barren, red wasteland of a place. I mean, just desolate, you know, just a place you wouldn't want to be. Um, but that's where he is for 40 more years. He kills the Egyptian when he's 40, and then he spends 40 more years out in this uh, Midian wasteland, the New Testament tells us, uh, shepherding sheep. For his father in law, uh, Jethro. 40 years just shepherding sheep, doing something that is loathsome to the Egyptians, right? Being a shepherd was loathsome to them. And so that's what he's doing now. He goes from being basically next in line uh, to be Pharaoh, you know, basically the, the greatest superpower in the world. He goes from this position to now. Shepherding sheep out in the middle of nowhere. So, from somebody to a nobody, maybe from, we might say, from a silver spoon in his mouth, you know, and all the pleasures of the world at, at his disposal at any point, to now living on the backside of the desert, you know, sc- scraping to get by, and uh, getting his PhD in humility, um, as we talked about last week. But at this point, Moses has completely abandoned all of the dreams that he's had of delivering Israel. He's completely given up on it. And as we pick it up in chapter 3, he's he's 80 years old and God finally says, now's the time. You're next, right? He gets the call. Um, it's a surprising call. That's the First heading in your outline this morning, the surprising call of Moses, and let's just start out with uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 that basically establish the setting for his call. Uh, Verse 1, now Moses was pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and uh, he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. All right, So that's our, that's our setting. One day Moses is just out shepherding in Horeb, uh, basically just means desert or desolate place, where Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, is. And we might talk more about the exact location later. But this is an important detail uh, because later on God is going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt to this exact place where Moses is in Horeb, at the base of Mount Sinai. If you, if you pretend like you just don't know all of that yet, pretend like you don't know the rest of the story, um, um, for Moses, Mount Sinai at this point is just another mountain. Right? He's just hanging out in the desert shepherding sheep. Right? This isn't any special place. He probably ran out of grass somewhere else or water, and he had to move him over here. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, he's just doing his thing. And uh, there's nothing special about it. Just another place. I mean, the bush that God appears in is just one of many bushes in this desert. Uh, There's really nothing special about it either. This, This is just an ordinary day. In fact, some of your translations just start out one day while Moses was out shepherding. One day kind of like that this day started out just like any other day when moses woke up that morning it was just another day you know it didn't it didn't feel any different he the sun came up as usual um he got out of bed <laughs> right or he, he rolled up his bedding maybe he probably had a average breakfast right yogurt some granola um whatever it was and uh just didn't feel any different right he's just gonna go shepherd sheep i mean this is this is what he thought he was gonna be doing probably in, uh, until god called him home right uh, just gonna spend his days out in the wilderness shepherding sheep so this is what he's been doing for 40 years day after day after day there's no warning no angels saying hey moses The Lord's going to speak to you today. He's going to appear to you, right? There's there's just no warning, and he's totally oblivious as to what is going to happen. And the reason I make such a big deal of this, or I point this out, is because this is the way that God tends to call us. Whether we're talking about a call to salvation or a call to some sort of special door, some sort of service, right? A door of service that he wants to open for us. It comes on a day when you don't expect it you know it's it's kind of like so some of the biggest the biggest moments in your life come on a day when you're least expecting it right um think about maybe the day that you met your spouse now this isn't going to apply to everybody but the day you met your spouse right um sure you were thinking about before this right i kind of want to get married or i might i might get married someday and i wonder if I'll ever meet that person, right? Because day after day goes by and it never happens. And I wonder if I'll meet him. And then one day, bam, you run into them, right? Or you meet them. You meet that person. And it's like life's never the same again. And then before you know it, six months later you're engaged, a year later you're married, whatever, right? Um, it happens so fast once it does happen. And salvation's kind of like that too. Uh that's you know, you when you the day that you got saved, the day that you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it, you did not wake up that morning thinking I'm going to trust Christ today, right? You probably woke up thinking this is going to be another day, uh, another. Another day at work, whatever, another another day at church, and just another Sunday, maybe another another summer Bible camp, or just I'm just listening to the radio, hanging out. And God's word gets a hold of your heart and it's never the same again. Right? Because that day, the Lord God finally, through his spirit, quickens you. He makes you realize your need for Jesus Christ. And just that fast, your life's never the same again. Right? And uh this is how it often happens, too, when he goes to call somebody into maybe vocational ministry, right? Away from what they're normally doing, into something, some sort of ministry capacity, full, full-time. I'll call it vocational ministry. I like that terminology better because we're all in ministry full-time, right? But um, there's a vocational aspect, too, but... Um, this is the way God works. Like Moses is just shepherding out in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, God appears to him and says, you're next, right? It's on, right? Time to go to Egypt and deliver my people. Um, Elisha, one of the Old Testament prophets, you know what he was doing? He was out shepherding. No, he wasn't shepherding. Actually, he was a, he was a farmer. He wasn't a rancher. He was out farming. He's pulling a plow behind his oxen, and Elijah, the prophet Elijah, comes up and throws his cloak on Elisha and says, you're next, follow me. And just that fast, Elisha goes from farming to now he's going home to tell mom, I got called, I got the call, I'm going to be a prophet, and he burns the oxen on the equipment, right, because it was made of wood, not iron. And just that fast his life changed, one day. And I think that's the way it works. One day, you're just faithfully doing your thing, and God calls. That's kind of how it worked for me. I'm not saying it's going to work that way for everybody, but this tends to be the way God calls people. Right? One day, I was just driving a grain cart through the field, and then uh, Wayne Hurley called me, and he says, Hey, we need a preacher. Right? This is at night. I remember exactly where I was, and I got the call. You know, and my life changed from that point. And we had a farm auction, which we were already planning on, but, you know, basically burned the John Deere on the equipment. You know, (laughs) and and life was never the same again. But I remember that whole year thinking, I know exactly the direction I'm going. God's voice was so strong. It was so clear. I knew what was going to happen. In a sense, I'm not a prophet, not the son of a prophet, but I didn't. God's voice was unmistakable, and I was in a wilderness because I'd previously been through kind of a failure, and then I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then one day got the call. I just I share that with you because some of us, you know, if you're if you're thinking about vocational ministry and you're thinking about uh, that call. Uh, just be faithful where you are and be careful and be prayerful because you don't want to be like Moses and run before you're sent. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's why I share all of this. Now, where am I at? Uh, verse 3. Uh, Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burning up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the burning bush and said, Moses. 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 I always want to say that, right? Kind of like the Ten Commandments. Moses. Why do he say his name twice? Do you know? I don't either. But he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Wow. So Moses he he's can't help but turn aside he's to get a closer look at this burning bush that just refuses to burn up. Uh, my guess is that learning or living in this like desert wasteland, uh, Moses has seen bushes like this burn up before, right? Spontaneous combustion out in this hot dry desert wilderness but this bush in particular refuses to die out because this isn't your average fire okay this is this is uh, a theophany a theophoric this is god's presence in this bush right he calls the angel of the lord god himself is in this bush and in your notes i wrote it's probably the pre-incarnate christ you can just you know i put these notes together pretty fast sometimes just cross out the word probably this is the pre-incarnate christ this is Jesus Christ in this bush, speaking, right? Jesus Christ, before he became a man in the Old Testament, is often called the angel of the Lord. Not an angel of the Lord, the angel. you got to look for that. Uh, point. Be aware of that, right? The angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, is in this. And fire, let's think about fire. Fire is a fitting representation for God uh, in the Bible and just in general. Because uh, fire is it's sublime you know we're drawn to it i love to sit around a campfire in the summer please summer come i don't want it to snow anymore but um you look at the fire right And you're just kind of drawn to it it's just mesmerizing but at the same time you respect it right you, you have a certain respect for fire you tell your kids don't play with fire And that's the way it is with God, right? You're drawn to him because he's powerful and he's beautiful, but you have a certain respect for him because he's God, and he's holy, and we're not, right? God is a consuming fire, the Bible says, a consuming fire. Later, this fire is going to engulf the top of this mountain, and God's going to say, don't let a beast or another human step foot on it or else they'll die, Right, God's holy. We're not, and so when God says, "Look, step back, take your shoes off, take your sandals off," that's a sign of respect. Even in some cultures today, uh, God's, God's establishing. Look, I'm holy or not. Right, tread carefully. You know, and if it weren't for Jesus Christ and His righteousness, uh, we couldn't even approach God. Right, it's only through Christ's perfect righteousness uh, that is basically imputed to our account that we get to then approach God with confidence. You know, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we'd be separated from him forever and his holiness. But um, God, in Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, we now get to approach God's throne boldly, Hebrews tells us. And his spirit consumes what is unholy in us. Right? He's a consuming fire. He consumes what's unholy. So his spirit inside of us is going to continually work to to purify us. That's what fire does. But let's look at verse uh, 7. And the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their outcry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and everybody knows the termite, right? Just, how can we not throw that joke in there? But, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them, right? So, at this point, Moses is thinking, alright, finally. Finally. Right, God is gonna deliver His people. This is awesome. God, get after it. Why are you talking to me? Right, I've been waiting for a long time for you to come and deliver this people. And uh, look at verse ten. Uh, it says, "Now come, I will send you to Pharaoh." And uh, Chuck Swindoll cracks me up. He said, "If you look really close at verse ten, you'll see skid marks there." Yeah, right Moses puts on the brakes you know go go ahead and deliver your people god right this is great and then he says no I I want you to do it no thank you right Moses says whoa 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 I don't think so not me right uh He thinks all of this old deliverer of Israel, remember Moses just kind of has this savior complex thing going on. He can't help but be a deliverer, but he thinks that those days are over. He burned that bridge a long time ago, and he was just going to finish out his days herding sheep, right? He's 80 years old, guys. He's set in his way, right? Some of you guys are, you know, 20 years old. You're already set in your ways. Just kidding. But he's comfortable, right? He's comfortable with where he's at. And so Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt, right? Who am I? Right? This is where we start to get into the three unsurprising objections of Moses. So we see a surprising call, and then we see three unsurprising objections to the call. Um, And I say unsurprising because every single one of us and especially if we are on the backside of the desert because of some failure, uh, we are gonna say, "Who am I? That I should that God would choose me to do something great." This whole um, "Who am I?" question that Moses poses here, "Who am I?" This can be a really healthy, humble response, I think. Right? Who am I? Like I, you know, like Moses, you know. He's acknowledging his human limits, he's acknowledging his unworthiness before God, but as we we start to work our way through this chapter and through the rest of chapter 4, you're going to see that Moses has now gone to an opposite extreme. He went from thinking, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to do this, to now he's got this self-depreciating extreme of false humility. Right? It's just false humility now. This is an excuse, as we're going to look at it. Um, the main excuse, number one, is I'm inadequate. Right, I'm inadequate, which is true. Right, <laughs> We're all inadequate to serve the Lord. But again, uh, Moses, at this point, has gone to the extreme. He has talked himself out of serving the Lord completely, and he's going to try to talk the Lord out of calling him. Right, He's going to try to talk the Lord out of it, too, but... It, um, So this is not a unique excuse. Uh, This is not a unique response to God's call. In fact, I would venture to guess that many Christians today who were once excited to serve the Lord, like Moses, right, who, who ran before he was sent, have now, maybe through failure, maybe through difficulty, through whatever, have systematically talked themselves out of serving God by wrestling with thoughts of failure or inadequacy, just like Moses we can talk ourselves out of serving the lord we can look in the mirror every single one of us can we can look in the mirror right and think of some excuse here's my mirror i'm not qualified look at me look at the way i look right so and so looks better right everybody wants to look at them more than me right they're up on stage right i'm not qualified i'm not gifted enough i don't have the right gifts i don't have a lot to offer I don't have this education, I don't have that education, right? So I can't do anything, I'm I'm too young. Jeremiah used that excuse in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. I'm too young to serve the Lord. Uh, How about I'm too old to serve the Lord? Remember, Moses is 80 before God gives him his greatest task in life. How about this one? I have a he- I have this or that health issue. Now we're striking some chords, aren't we? I have this or that health issue. I can't serve the Lord. I'm not dependable enough. I, I have a stammering t- 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 tongue. I t- can't t- talk very well. Moses is going to use that excuse. You know... I realized that excuse there, the whole health issue and the tongue thing, wouldn't work when I heard one of the most powerful sermons in my life come from a guy with cerebral palsy. And you know what he asked us? He said, what's your excuse for not serving the Lord? The guy up there preaching with cerebral palsy. And then, like, you've got great missionaries like Amy Carmichael, who, I mean, she looked in the mirror and she went... I am not attractive. That's what she said. She just flat out said, I'm not an attractive person. And she had health issues, you know, like she, that she constantly had to deal with. And yet she served the Lord and became just one of the greatest missionaries ever that God used. And here's, she wrote this poem here. Listen to this. You might have to reread through this poem sometime later this afternoon. But, She says this from prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, right, from soft silken self, O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee, from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings. Not thus are spirits fortified. Not this way went the crucified. He, the crucified one. From all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay. The hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod, make me thy fuel flame of god wow how many of you can pray that prayer deliver me from all the easy silky ways and and make me more like christ right the one who was crucified on calvary yeah you know, what a what a prayer the trouble is i think that we settle into being okay with being a clod. I'm I'm content just being a clod, right? I'm like Moses, right? We don't want to just don't want to burn for God anymore. You know, it's too hard, it's too difficult, whatever. Let me just reach heaven with as little interruption and difficulties as possible. It's okay for God to use someone else. Just not me. He leaves me alone. Let me just be a clod. That's really how Moses felt. He's going to say, send someone else at the end of this. When he runs out of excuses, he's going to say, God, tell, tell someone else to go. I don't want to. He's just content there. Uh, verse 12, assuredly though, God, God says, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. And He's promising. Like Moses, I'm gonna be with you. Uh, without me, you're nothing, but with me, you're gonna set the people free. And, and, and you're gonna you're all gonna worship me here. And and Moses his rebuttal is behold i'm going to go to the sons of israel i'll say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you now they may say to me what is his name right what shall i say to them so you know what this is right this is a what if question right a worry question what about the future what if i step out and serve god what if Right? What if this happens? What if that happens? Right? And, and we all know 99% of the things we worry about don't happen. Right? He wants to know everything ahead of time. Isn't that the way it is? God calls. Well, what am I going to say? Don't worry about that. God will put his words in your mouth. But that's excuse number two. I'm just unknowledgeable. I'm unknowledgeable. And God is still gracious. He gives him an answer in verse 14. He says, To Moses I am who I am that's my name I am who I am and he said this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel I am has sent me to you God furthermore said to Moses this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you this is my name forever and this is the name for all generations to use to call upon me Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So, God reveals his name to Moses. Right? I am who I am. That's where we get our word Yahweh, right? Our name Yahweh. The great I am. And it, it's, it really is, is the most important, most significant name for God that there is, that we know of. Uh, the Jews regard this name of God so uh, highly, they regard it as being so holy that they don't even want to write it or speak it. And so because of that, we actually don't even know the proper pronouncement of it. There we, there's lots of debates over the proper uh, way to pronounce Yahweh. Um, that's how holy it is. It comes from a verb which means to be. Uh, God just is. You know what I'm saying? Like, who is God? He is. <laughs> he's the one. He's, he's the eternal, self-existent, and self-sufficient one. I don't know if you've thought about this, but God does not depend upon anybody for anything at any time. Right? We depend on him for everything. Our life, our everything around you know just existence no one created god he's just eternal he always was always is and always is going to be and jesus even hung the whole doctrine of the resurrection on that on the the present tense am right because jesus said uh he's he's the god of he's not the he was not the god of abraham isaac and jacob but he is the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Basically, the present tense form is that God is. Um, he's the present tense God who is there and He's working. You know, He's not just working in the past, He's not just working in the future. And in the middle, it's just a big, soggy mattress. You know, I mean, He's at he's, he's work right now, today. He's the great I am. So, um, God is basically saying to Moses here it doesn't matter who you are. Moses, you're right, you know, in a sense. You are inadequate, but I'm the one sending you, and I'm the one who's adequate. You see that? Moses says, who am I? God says, I am. <laughs> it's awesome, isn't it? Oh, aren't you so glad this is recorded in Scripture for us? I am. Um, it's not who you are, Moses. It's whose you are, and it's it's who is with you that matters. And that's our really our big principle this morning that just... Uh, Silence is uh, Moses' main excuse. It's that God is completely adequate where we are not adequate, where we are inadequate. Remember that. Uh, He's adequate. We'll come back to it later. In verses uh, 17 through 22, uh, the rest of chapter 3, God basically tells Moses the future. He says, you're going to go. They're going to get the Israelites. They're going to enter the promised land. And you're going to plunder the Egyptians in the meantime, right? So um, when you leave, and I think that should be comforting for us, and I could spend a lot of time on it, but we're not going to, but just how it's comforting just how well and how detailed God predicts the future. Right? He knows the future. It's in his hands. He never panics. God is never surprised at anything. Nothing ever just shakes him. You know, He never sweats, we could say. He never wrings his hands or twiddles his thumbs and wonders. He doesn't have to. He's God, right? Um, so for the sake of time, let's fast forward to chapter 4, verse one, verses 1 through 9. Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? So again, another what if question. He's a worrier. For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, Okay, what's in your hand? Then he said, a staff. Notice how he didn't qualify. It's just a staff, just a wooden stick, okay, for shepherding. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it turned into a serpent, and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he reached out his hand and caught it, and it turned into a, a staff, in his hand So it turns into a snake, then it turns back into the staff when he grabs it by the tail. And so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now verse 6, the Lord furthermore said to him, uh, Now put your hand inside of the fold of your robe. So he put his hand inside the fold, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then he said, Put your hand back inside the fold of your robe again. And so he put his hand into the fold again, and when he took it out of the fold, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And so if they will not believe you, nor pay attention to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the last sign. But, here's the third one, if they will not believe even these two signs, nor pay attention to what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will turn into blood on the dry ground, so uh, doubting Moses, we think of doubting Thomas. This is doubting Moses. God says, "Here's some signs." He gives him three signs. The first one uh, is these. All these signs actually are going to be done um, in in Pharaoh's presence and some in in, in Israel's presence to uh, prove his credibility. But the first sign is turning a, his staff into a snake, and it's probably a cobra because that was. Uh, basically one of the Egyptian gods, a uh, cobra, right? You see it on Pharaoh's uh, crown, right? Right on his forehead, and he's basically the epitome of the satanic seed that's um, at war with God's seed. Uh, there's a big war between good and evil going on here. But basically, when Moses takes this cobra by the tail, he's saying that you are going to have authority over Egypt, Right? taking something by the tail. You're not the head, you're the tail. Right? You grab the tail, and, and basically you're, you have authority over Egypt, you're going to have authority over Satan and all the evil junk that's going on in Egypt. And then his staff now, if you look at verse 20, is going to be called the staff of God. It's the staff of God now, and uh, he's going to use it to do wonders. Um, the, sign of lep- the second sign is leprosy, which demonstrates God's power over sickness and death. And then the third sign, turning the Nile into blood, is an indication of the other plagues to come. He's going to turn the whole Nile to blood. Um, So God's going to demonstrate his control over Egypt, over Egypt's gods, and over all of creation and over Satan. And so you'd think Moses would say, all right, I don't want to, but okay, let's do this. What does Moses say? You can't make this stuff up, folks. Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. Like, even in my conversation with you, you should notice I'm not that eloquent, Lord. Right? For I'm slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue. And so Moses comes up with his third excuse, we'll call it, which is still just inadequacy, but I'm incapable, basically. I'm incapable. Uh, I can't talk well. Um Welcome to the club, Moses. Neither, no one here can either, right? Um, some speculate Moses had a fear of public speaking or a speech impediment, but even in this conversation, Moses is just saying, look, I don't speak well, and you should notice that, right? I just think it's really funny. Um, I think he's just saying, look, I'm just not eloquent or persuasive. I don't necessarily buy the whole stammering tongue thing, but maybe. Um, whatever the case, I mean, it's just not, it's not a good excuse, Because God's power is perfected in our weaknesses. His power is perfected in our weaknesses. Isn't that what Paul says in the New Testament? My grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. God doesn't need perfect orators. Not even the apostle Paul was a perfect orator. People kind of poked fun at him because he was so plain in person. You know, (laughs) There's nothing impressive about the Apostle Paul. He says, when when we're weak, then God is strong. Right? So he says, boast about your weaknesses before God. Because that's when God's glory, God's power, God's grace shines through you the best. Right? It's like a cracked jar. You know, the cracks are there, but that's where the light shines through. You know, or a broken lantern, a cracked lantern, something. But uh, this is, guys, our weaknesses become all the more reason for God to choose us. So if you say, God, I'm weak in this area, God says, perfect. That's where my power is going to shine. It's just, your your excuse, Moses, is totally irrelevant. I love it. And that's what the, the you know, the exodus is all about. God getting glory. God's going to glorify himself through his judgments on Pharaoh and through his, Redemption of Israel, his rescuing of them. So, um, look at verse 11. God just gets even, God doesn't even bring up the whole, you know, weakness, power thing. He just, look what he says here. And don't miss this. And don't try to write it off. Verse 11, the Lord says to him, who made the human mouth? Who made your mouth, Moses? Or who makes anyone unable to speak? or deaf, or able to see, or blind. Who does that? This will be a wake-up call for you if you never thought about how sovereign God is. Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I myself will be with your mouth and instruct you in what you are to say. Uh, Moses had to just zip it then, right? You'd think. I mean, mean, what do you say to that? I can't talk. God says, I made your mouth. Wow, right? How do you respond to that, to God's sovereignty? Even Jesus said in John 9, 2, 3, right? this This guy that was born blind, he was born blind so that God would get glory from it. What do you do with that? You praise God, right? You just, God gets glory through everything. Guys, Moses can't argue with this. And his, he, his real reason finally comes out. He's, he ran out of excuses. Verse 13, he said, Please, Lord, send the message by whomever, whomever you will. Basically, send someone else, not me. I don't want a second chance. I'm done. How many of you feel that way? Or have felt that way? I don't want to go, I don't want a second chance, send someone else to do it. This is getting painfully irreverent at this point. Okay, But this is the real Moses. The Moses that we have written hero stories about, right? Moses, the great Bible story hero that we read about, you know, the kids' stories. He's relatable, I love that aspect of it, but he's not a perfect model, only Jesus Christ is. And at this point, the Lord just gets angry, and we need to be aware of this. False humility was taken to the point in Moses' life that the Lord just gets angry. Look at this, the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? Aaron's three years older than Moses, by the way. But he says, I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be overjoyed. I think it's just another sign. God knew everything that was going to take place here. And he even went to Aaron and said, start working your way to Moses. Crazy how sovereign God is. But so you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I myself will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will instruct you in what you are to do, and he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as a God as God to him, and you shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs and so even though the Lord's angry with Moses, and even though Moses doesn't need help, God in his grace says, "We'll send Aaron to help you, and uh you say. Oh, that's comforting. Well, it's really not when we read on, because this lack of faith in Moses is going to be harmful to Moses' ministry. As soon as he, they get the Israelites out of Egypt and into uh, at the, at, to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. They think he's dead, and Aaron just throws all of the plunder of the Egyptians into an oven, and it just comes out shaped like a calf. Right? And they start to worship it. Aaron becomes a thorn in his side. And so his lack of faith here proves harmful to his ministry. In summary, though, let's end on that note, right? Um, In summary, let's ask that question again that we asked at the beginning. What if God were to call you to do something great? Maybe he doesn't appear to you in a burning bush, but maybe he speaks to you through his word and through other believers, and and in various ways, but all in a line with His Word. What if He were to call you to do something great? Well, actually, what if I told you that every believer in Jesus Christ has already been called to something great? Like, you already have been. No matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what weaknesses you have, no matter what messes you've made in the past, as a believer, the Bible says you have a heavenly calling. A heavenly calling. Ephesians 4, 1, Hebrews 3, 1, 2 Timothy 1, 9. God says he has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Ephesians, a heavenly calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all Eternity, right from from eternity past, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, I used to choke on that when I read it. Abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. You know, when I when I when I remember sitting on an airplane on a mission trip reading that thing, and. I'm on a a plane heading to Oregon, and I'm reading through this, and it just finally hit me, like, immortality? You know, when I think of immortality, I think of superheroes and comic books. You know, not real life. We're talking real immortality here. Like, you die, you live forever, right? You die physically, but you're going to live forever. There's going to be a resurrection. You think about how grand this is. The heavenly calling that we've been called with, like, God has chosen you. That's what this verse is saying. From eternity past, God has chosen you. He has knocked on your door, and he has said, come believe. That's the general call to salvation. And then he says, go, live for me, and make disciples. Let others know about the eternal life available through the gospel. God calls people to salvation through the gospel. You starting to picture that heavenly calling now? And what it's like, he sends us, guys, he's just basically, he's sending us to be a part of an even greater exodus. And that's calling people out of slavery to sin, right? Real slavery is bad, right? Physical slavery of a people, whatever, that's bad, right? That's, that's ugly, it's horrible. But it's not the worst thing ever, right? Slavery to sin is the worst thing ever. God wants to call us out of slavery to sin into freedom of worship, right? Rescue us from slavery to sin and make us worshipers. And you're going to see that through the Exodus. It's just, that's the big picture. Um, The truth is that no matter, again, what you do, you, you might be a rancher. You might be a janitor. You might be a health practitioner, a trucker, a mechanic, construction worker, a teacher, a parent, or just a child, whatever it is, you're to use that as a platform to carry out your heavenly calling, you know, making disciples. And I find it interesting that the regular old staff of Moses is now called the staff of God. Maybe this week you go to work and you have a wrench in your hand. Maybe you have a steering wheel. Maybe you have a stethoscope. Maybe you have a baby bottle. Uh, maybe you have a pencil or a keyboard. Whatever it is, it's a tool that God can use as part of your heavenly calling. So that keyboard now becomes the keyboard of God. That wrench is the wrench of God, <laughs> in a sense. right? So wherever you go, you're, you're doing it for the Lord. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God, Right? And just be faithful in that and be available, too, because God might call you into vocational ministry. If that's the case, be willing, but be patient as you wait for God to open that door of service to you. Um, That being said, all of that being said, let's remind ourselves that the greatest, most important call you can answer this morning is the call to salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, He died for your sins He was buried, and he rose again the third day so that everyone who believes in him can have everlasting life. And you need to know that that is sufficient to pay for your sins. I mean, if you're here today and you don't know how to get to heaven, uh, whatever, just know Jesus paid it all. And it's only through trusting in what he did on that cross, which I like to point to. um, What he did on the cross and through his death, burial, resurrection is sufficient uh, to pay for your sins. To cover your sins and to see to it that you can enjoy God's presence, even the holy God's presence forever. and you can have enjoy sweet fellowship with him. So let's pray, uh, Lord what a word you have for us this morning from Exodus. Uh, we're so thankful for it, and uh, trust that your spirit has done his work in our hearts to save and to sanctify. Um, Lord, we're thankful for the, the wilderness and our failures and some of the different difficult circumstances we go through in life because we know that you're using them as part of our heavenly calling and to make us more like Jesus. Um, I think, too, about just how so many of us are probably used to the monotony of life. We're used to our schedules and just we're just over-familiar with everything going on in our lives. And we've become content to be clods. And we don't want to burn for you. But Lord, I pray that you would remind us this morning that you are the great I am. You're not the one who just worked in the past. You're not the one who just works in the future. You're the one who wants to work right now in our lives. So remind us of that. That you work right now. And Lord, give us the grace... Uh, that we need to carry out our, our heavenly calling. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.